increased capacity. The Arts and Humanities audio program that is all about ever-expanding levels of beauty, truth, and goodness. This is episode 8, and it is August 7th, 2017, and we're broadcasting, as always, out of WXPI Studios in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. The song you're listening to right now is called Wait For Me by Giraffe Squad. I'm Jesse Turry, and as always, I'm joined in the studio by Dan Lewis. Episode Ocho. Yeah. Spanish number. <laughs> I like um, uh, Nueve, myself. Oh, yes. And, and also, um, <laughs> uh, I also like uh, Cinco. Oh, yeah. <laughs> De Mayo. Well, what about you, Gabe? I used to count to ten in yeah. Spanish. I always left out Ocho. You left out Ojo? Oh, man. That's, ugh, yeah. Um, We are joined, in in case you don't know, we are joined by another person in the studio. His name is Gabe, and he's been on the show before. Right, Gabe? Right. Yeah, we're glad to have you back, man. Sitting in, you're just sitting in, man. You're pinch hitting. He's just here to enjoy the conversation today. Yeah. And add anything I can. Oh, awesome, man. Yeah, that's what that's what we're doing. That's what we do here, you know. Right, right, Dan. Um, our title, right, is called "Increase Capacity," and it really is a riff on a concept from a thinker that I'm keen on. His name is Alfred North Whitehead. He was born in England uh, and taught at Har- uh, taught at uh, Oxford and uh, taught at Harvard. Eventually, toward the end of, end of his career, but he had a very um, sort of aesthetic. Uh, and consciousness-centric definition of evolution, which I really like. So he seemed to view evolution as an increase in the capacity to experience what is intrinsically valuable. So, <clears throat> for those who are just sort of listening to the show, just tuning in for the first time, <laughs> I mean, we, we do, we do this, this, this show is broadcast on the radio, uh, and it's streamed online, but I guess with a podcast you can't really tune in. Right. You can download... You can download, if you're just downloading, for, for some reason, if you just download episode eight for the first time, this is for you. <laughs> so what we try to do is we, we break up the show into three segments, uh, beauty, truth, and goodness, um, or we can think of them as soul, mind, or heart, okay? Now, some people may recognize these as the three, uh, the three primary values or the transcendental ideals that have been recognized since antiquity in cultures throughout the world. Um, so tonight, we, like always, we will bring one thing from each category to, to talk about. The goal of the show um, is to increase our capacities, ultimately, to appreciate and realize greater and greater levels of, and blends of these three intrinsic values by exploring new ideas and learning about new people, artists, writers, thinkers, for instance. So hopefully, all of this clears the way so that we can experience new things and have zesty adventures. What do you guys think? I like that zest. Dan loves zest. I can't. I love it. I love that he loves zest. That's why he's here. <laughs> so um, I guess um, we will uh, 
jump into the beauty section. Beauty. This is the beauty segment, and um, like like we said at the top of the show, this is the part where we talk about things we like. Okay, so it's subjective taste. We, Dan and I, and uh, we have a guest here. They will we will always be talking about things we enjoy, things we we find to be uh, appealing. You know, so so let's do that. Um, okay, Dan, do you want to flip a coin? What do you want to do? I threw all my coins in the fishbowl at home when I got home. <laughs> nice. Oh, so you got a fish now? No, no. Um, we have a fishbowl filled with coins. <laughs> oh, it's, <that> we're, <laughs> it's just, I wouldn't be throwing coins in there. There's, there's no fish, fish in there. If there was just a fish coins. in there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was wondering. I was like, that yeah, seems kind of like a weird thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> funny because my... Uh, I have Most a story random about, answer ever. Yeah, we have, we have a story about a fish. Oh, I, I'll just go first since you're talking about fish. Okay. Because um, my, my story about the fish relates to what my beauty pick is. Um, but we stay, we, we, we uh, were on, uh, we, we were out of town over the weekend. And we, we were in Pittsburgh. And we went to a wedding. Uh, my, my, my spouse's sister was married over the weekend. And we stayed in a hotel in Pittsburgh. It was right downtown. It was really nice. Uh, her parents uh, put us up for, for uh, two nights. It was great. Nice. Um, and they were very excited. It was a big celebration. And so the hotel was awesome. Um, and the funny thing is, was that um, when we checked in, the, uh, the, the concierge, right, the, the person at the front desk there, um, <laughs> gave us her keys and explained, you know, gave us the, the rundown, you know, you can, mm-hmm. whatever. They have like a happy hour. Happy hours at this time, five o'clock. Um, you know, and then there's snacks. Then that's all. I, I kind of was, I, I blanked out the whole time she was explaining things, mm-hmm. except for when she talked about snacks and free coffee. I, I picked all that up. But at the end, she said, um, thanks for staying with us. Oh, and would you like a fish brought up to your room? I was like, <laughs> I was like, you had me at fish. It's like, do you even have to ask? <laughs> so that it was crazy, man. They, they, they brought up a goldfish in a bowl to our room. It was wonderful. Interesting. Yeah, the hotel was cool. It was like, um, it's called the Hotel Monaco, I believe. And it had definitely had like a, uh, like a nature, like wildlife theme. Hmm. Uh, there are like bird cages all over the place. Um, and we had goldfish in our room for the uh, weekend. It was great. Cool. We named them Freddy. Freddy fish? Mm-hmm. Fred. Because <laughs> there was a $5, $4 bottle of water called Fred Water that, uh, that my son, Benny, ended up drinking. So the fish became Fred, too. Um, but uh, yeah, I think we actually ended up giving the fish a little too much food because his, his water got really cloudy. Oh. <laughs> we, had to, we, had to, we had to get his water changed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that happens. Yeah. So, but yeah, so that's my story about the fish. So, but getting into, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, do they, do they, um, do they like keep the fish or do they just stay no, back? No, just and for they, the weekend. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, it, it, was, it was just for weird. the stay. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. I never heard of anything like that before. Yeah, it was totally weird. It caught me off guard. Would you like a fish brought up to your room? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could totally say that to people. Right. That would make my day. If I worked at that hotel, holy cow, I would look forward to that every time. Yeah. If, if you do, um, what's what's the uh, Uber version of hotel stay? It's, um, oh, there is one. Yeah. I forget what it's called now. Um, well, there's... Uh, Airbnb, Airbnb, but yeah, yeah, like but like, like start doing Airbnb, and then uh, you know every time mm-hmm. somebody comes in, ask if they'd like a fish in their room. <laughs> yeah, uh, that'd be great. They might leave. <laughs> yeah, for me it would be like uh, like weird bugs that Benny catches yeah. in the backyard, like stink bugs and <laughs> ladybugs and stuff. Would you like some ladybugs brought into your room? <laughs> 
So, but this does relate to my, my, uh, my, my beauty pick. I, I mentioned that. And my beauty pick is marriage. So I was, we were at a wedding and I don't know, man, every time I'm at a wedding, I just find them to be beautiful. I really do. And this was no exception. Um, I, I'm, I tear up at weddings. I really do. I, I they're touching to me for, for me. And uh, my own wedding, I, I cried <laughs> saying my vows, you know, and my, my spouse did not. <laughs> she kind of makes fun of me for it. Um, but I do. And this one, this one was really nice. It was um, kind of a, uh, my uh, sister-in-law was married um, sort of in, in like a state park in a natural environment, natural setting. It was really, really pretty. Um, it did rain. So we were bummed about that. And we weren't really like mm. uh, sort of prepared for the weather. It was kind yeah. of chilly. Been to a rained out wedding before well the, yeah. the reception was rained out but the wedding wasn't thank right. goodness but yeah yeah um I, I heard it's good luck though if it rains on yeah, your i've heard that too so, who knows who knows such things hmm. but um but it was great I, I found it to be beautiful and <clears throat> it reminded me of um um the quote by mignon uh mclaughlin she says uh, a successful marriage requires falling in love many times always with the same person and I, I, I love that quote. I think about it all the time, uh, frequently, um, especially these days since I, I just went to a wedding and my spouse and I are celebrating 10 years in August. That's so, right. So I've got sort of marriage on my mind and it's lately, the last couple of weeks. Um, <clears throat> and uh, so just a few reflections on, on marriage and, and why I think it's beautiful. I think it's beautiful for, for many reasons. Um, but one reason is that it has to do with trust right um well yeah so th- this is the first reflection and i'll just read this this is from Catherine keller um who i've mentioned on the show before she's a theologian and a philosopher and uh she wrote a book called on the mystery which i really love so i also find that to be beautiful so that this is also a beauty pick Catherine keller mm-hmm. on the mystery but i just want to read this one little short passage here and she's talking about trust right and in, in regard to and she talks about uh marriage She says, truth and trust are closely related words, as displayed in the archaic form of the word truth. Troth, T-R-O-T-H, quote-unquote, troth, as in in to pledge your troth. So truth, quote-unquote, as its root signifies, a covenant of trustworthiness in a marriage contract. To be true to another means to be trusty. Wow. How about that? This root meaning is not peculiar to European etymologies. Indeed, the Hebrew concepts that used that used to be translated in the Old Testament as truth uh, mean faithfulness or trustworthiness. To see sh- to see the shift, consider, for instance, the King James translation of uh, Psalm thirty three four, and this is the quote from from Psalms: uh, "For the word of the Lord is right, and all his works are done in truth." The translation is not exactly wrong, but it reinforces a, coven, uh, a, a uh, conventional, sorry, conventional European notion of truth as cognitive correctness. So that's a little piece from Catherine Keller there, uh, and she's talking about truth as being trustworthiness. I love that. Hmm. So, in, in, in marriage is, is about trust, right? In, in yeah. Large part. So, okay. So here's my other my other um, connection, my other reflection on on marriage um whenever i think about marriage i I always think about this these connections that uh, a theologian greg boyd made one time he makes a distinction between covenants and contracts 
okay, in, in, in scripture. And uh, I, I, I love it. He says here that, um, he has very good reading, and this, uh, a good reading of sort of the old, the, uh, the, the Hebrew Testament, um, and, and particular, particularly Genesis. Um, he shares this with Walter Brueggemann, uh, who's a, an, a, an Old Testament scholar, that you can, you can read that sort of narrative as a transition from a sort of a contractual uh, worldview or, or, or a covenantal agape love worldview to a contractual worldview. Um, so, oh yeah, so in the beginning, he, he says here that the, the Bible says Adam and Eve were kind of just walking with God in the cool of the day in the late afternoon when it wasn't hot. And um, that this is just the Bible's way of communicating that they, they had this relationship, right, with God um, that was sort of innocent. Um, and, and that they hung out with God and God hung out with them and they enjoyed one another. And that is what life is supposed to be about, right? Um, just sort of enjoying each other, enjoying relationships. Um, but the tree of knowledge of good and evil wasn't there as a test, like a cookie in front of a, a child or anything. It was God's loving, no trespassing sign sort of thing. Uh, life revolved around these two sort of trees in the middle of the garden. And God is saying, trust me for my provision of life, but also honor my prohibition, right? God is saying, be like me in terms of your character, expand my love, be like me in, in terms of how you treat one another, how you treat the animals and how you treat the earth. But don't be like me in terms of your wisdom. Don't be like me in thinking you know and can define good and evil, or that you're supposed to police good and evil and be the judges of good and evil. No, leave that to me. I'll be the judge and you be lovers in my image. Hmm. So I think that's a, that's a fantastic way to read that sort of narrative, that mm-hmm. biblical narrative. Um, but back to the to the main point here, he he contrasts uh, covenants and contracts. So co- contracts are associated with agreements, okay? Like uh, what you find in employment or home ownership. Covenants are associated with things like marriages, right? Um, so that's what we do when we get married. We we enter into a a, a, a covenant. Mm-hmm. Right, an agape love covenant. So, unlike contractual agreements, marriage covenants are meant to be unbreakable. They are not fifty-fifty deals, right? Like contracts. That's what a contract is. Right. Uh, but a marriage is a hundred-hundred deal. Your very being is to be invested in a marriage. Number two, contracts are essentially deals that are made between two parties. Covenants have to do not with making deals, but with making pledges between two people. Right? So, uh, so a deal is between us, and a marriage is us. Yeah. So in this case, a contract is about law. A pledge is about love. And number three, lastly, contracts are associated with law. They are always conditional and evaluative, right? Hmm. Um, contracts always have conditions. If you do this, yeah. then I'm free to go, or contract's broken. But agape love covenants, on the other hand, are always unconditional. While contracts may be obsessed with evaluating, assessing, measuring, and judging, agape love covenants are about accepting the other as they are. So that's my truth pick. It is marriage, and it is also um, uh, Catherine Keller, um, her book, and right. Greg Boyd's writings on love, hmm. uh, agape love. It's fantastic. So that's what good. I find to be beautiful. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Uh, it's unfortunate that you know a lot of people... Mm-hmm treat marriage as a contract rather than yeah. a covenant so it's it's yeah. important to know the difference yeah okay dan you want to you want to you want to take over oh dan's uh, gabe's gabe's got a comment i figured i'd ask this but i didn't want to interrupt mm-hmm. what's a theologian oh yeah good question gabe yeah I, I, um, a theologian is someone who 
who thinks about God, pretty much. That just uh, spends all day thinking about God and talking about God and writing about God. Figured I'd clear that up. Yeah, no, I'm glad you asked. It's a good question. Um, I mean, it's more complicated than that, but yeah. Um, so that's the simplest way to put it. That's the simplest way to put it. Yep. Yeah. Does that sound right, Dan? Someone, yeah, someone who studies God. Someone um, who studies yeah. the the traditions, the the historical theologist. Yep. yep. Someone who studies uh, theologian. Yep. Someone who studies other theologians and uh, sort of different religious traditions. So typically. Um, Typically, Christian Christians have theologians. Uh, the Jewish faith has theologians because they talk about God. Um, some other faiths that don't have necessarily talk about God um, still have religious scholars, and, and uh, even though they may not be specifically talking about a personal, like theistic sort of God. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, typically, yeah, a theologian is someone who works within a like a theistic tradition, so like Christianity, mm-hmm. um, and yeah thinks about God and writes about God and studies. Yeah. I think the Pastafarians have any uh, <laughs> theologians? I, th- I think uh, that's a good question. <laughs> you know who they, what yeah, they are? The Pastafarians. That's, uh, that's the uh, the new atheist thing, isn't it? Uh, kind of. It's it's just a spoof on religion. It's Because uh, yeah. um, it was people who worshipped the flying spaghetti monster. Yeah, and that was like a Dawkins thing, right? Yeah, I don't know, maybe. I think that but was Richard, just, it's, it's, Richard Dawkins. Yeah, he said that. Something about, a, like, you can't prove right. God any more than you can prove a flying spaghetti monster. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember that. It's nonsense. Yeah. Cool. Okay, Dan, you're up, man. All right. Well, um, this happened about 10 years ago. Um, I was on my way to Knobles with a with a friend, and uh, my friend spotted this house that looked like it had been uh, maybe caught on fire. Um, and and they said, let's let's go look at this house. And so we took a little detour, and what we found was this house that had been burned out, uh, this abandoned house. And it was just cool. We just started taking pictures of it, and I didn't really think much of it, you know. After taking those pictures, I just thought it was kind of a neat little. Little, little photography project, you know. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I, I decided to take these photographs and recreate them uh, in Illustrator. And you've seen them, I think. Oh, yeah, sure. The, yeah. And I, I just called it the Abandoned House Project. Yes. I, I took six of the pictures and I recreated them completely in mm-hmm. Illustrator. Um, basically, by um, I won't get too technical here, but, uh, you know, I basically brought the... F- photos in photoshop um mm-hmm. i did like a i think i did like a posterize yeah I think filter I thing on them just to kind of bring out some of the colors and some of the shapes within the the photograph you know it still looked photorealistic mm-hmm. uh to some degree and then i you know just brought into illustrator placed a layer over that and started tracing around these shapes and mm-hmm. then filling in the color and, and things like that it was a really fun project to work on it i probably put over 100 hours into each each wow. of the six um pieces that i did for this um but uh it's just i it's something that i kind of revisited um i've I've gone back and looked at this house it's all pretty much completely overgrown with weeds and and everything now um but i actually i got on online and i I wanted to know more about this house Mm -hmm. like i've always wondered about the family Mm -hmm. uh you know what happened was you know was there this a tragedy i mean any any time a house burns down is a tragedy regardless of you know what what happens but um you know, I, I did find another uh, uh, a blog post about this. Mm-hmm. This girl had gone and take, taken a bunch of photos oh, of wow. this abandoned house, uh-huh. and we'll you know we'll link to my blog post yep. that I made about it, and also um, 
the one that I found. But from what I found out, it's actually in a small town called Boyd's Station cool. uh, between Danville and Elysburg, mm-hmm. PA. Um, and, you know, people around here would know where that's from. But um, if anyone else is listening to this, it's not from the area. Uh, mm-hmm. If you've heard of Centralia, it's kind of in that area. Centralia is, uh, is known for the mine fires that are yeah. burning underneath and was also the inspiration for... Uh, movie called Silent Hill, which was based oh, on a popular right. video game series, but I'm, I'm, I digress. <laughs> um, anyway, um, yeah, so it was really cool. I, I found out that uh, when this girl went to photograph, the son of the, the people that owned the house mm-hmm. was there, and he said, oh, yeah, people come here and take pictures all the time. You know, go ahead cool. and go ahead and shoot away, you know, take pictures. And um, they found out that, you know, nobody was nobody was killed or injured in this, this fire and everyone was okay you cool. know but like i said any fire can be a tragedy i'm sure they yeah. lost quite a bit but thank god they didn't lose their lives you know mm-hmm. but i just thought it was a cool story it was nice to finally like find this out you know 10 years after discovering this place and awesome. um i just thought that was kind of a, a neat way to you know have yeah. my questions answered but yeah, I also um, I made a video too, and like I said, I will link to the blog post that I did. The video is embedded in that, so it's yeah, we'll, just we'll need to take a look. I don't like to toot my own horn, but yeah, it's a project I'm very proud of, and yep, um, I really enjoyed working on it. So check it out. Though, yeah, I remember the those uh, illustrations; they are beautiful, man. Yeah, I appreciate appreciate you sharing those. Thanks. Um, geez, I didn't know you spent a hundred hours on them. Holy on cow! Each That's a each lot one. Of oh, oh, yeah. Um, Hashtag oi oi oi. Yeah. And in the video, I actually used um, a plural form song, too. So, okay. you know, they, oh, sweet. So you'll yeah, post the video. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, I haven't. Um, burned houses are interesting to look at because, yeah, they, they, they all tell stories, don't they? Yeah. Um, every time I see one, I'm like, what happened? Hmm. You know? Um, and there's definitely like. Like I, it's not your typical. Like looking at a like a burned down house is not like your typical like flowers and rainbows kind right. of beauty. It's yeah. like what Catherine Keller talks about a tragic beauty. Yeah, there is a beauty you know? to it. Almost like last time when yeah. I talked about the mother tree, which yeah. at a, you know at the time was considered an aberration of nature. You right. know, and this is, I mean, I wouldn't say it's along the same lines, but yeah. it's something that's not pretty. Mm-hmm. But there's doesn't mean there's not beauty in it. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, I guess um, we should keep moving um, to the truth segment. Truth. We are back with the truth segment. Um, And I've got a truth pick, and it's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun one, y'all. Get ready. Uh, this is a my pick is a blog post of mine again <laughs> that that I wrote. I'm not going to read it read it all because it's it's pretty long, uh, but um, but I, I want to talk about it because I the the topic of the blog post is human nature and the nature of government. Okay, now these are two things that I think need to be reexamined. That I think every one of us needs to either examine for the first time or reexamine. Okay, so I think this is this is why this is my my truthful pick because I think it's it's necessary for us to continue after the truth here, right? So many people may have a an understanding of human nature, or think they do, or maybe they don't think about it much, but they still have something running in the background. They still mm-hmm. have an understanding of what humans are, 
that they were given or born with or assimilated culturally or through the family or whatever it is. Um, same thing with government. Um, we probably, if someone asks what what's the nature of government, you may have an answer, you may not, but you'll you probably have some, you respond in some way, some manner. Hmm. Um, and here's what I want to say. I want to read a quote here from Henry, Henry Rosemont Jr. So he is a, uh, a Confucian scholar um, and a philosopher. And he says here that in order to be a friend, a neighbor or lover, for example, I must have a friend, neighbor or lover. Other persons are not merely accidental or contingent to my goal of following the path of being as fully human as possible. They are fundamental to it. My only, uh, my life can only have meaning as I contribute to the meaningfulness of the lives of others and they to me. Okay. So, <clears throat> so I grew up in the United States of America all my life. I'm very aware that there are many inherited philosophical values or conceptions or assumptions that Americans absolutely need to re-examine, like I was just saying, and some people need to examine them for the first time. But because of the environmental catastrophe and the political polarization we're currently faced with, there are at least two assumptions that I feel need to be examined immediately. I just described them. Human nature, or one's anthropological model, view of persons, and the nature and purpose of government. So these two, th- these two things are obviously intimately connected. But first, I think I should preface by saying something about, the, uh, about an issue that has confused me for a long time. Okay? So, um, and, and here's the issue that has confused me. In the United States, we always talk about conservatives and liberals, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've heard. Oh, yeah. Right? That's, that's what we hear in the United States. Um, but... This is what we all need to understand. Classically understood, politically and economically, all Americans, conservatives and liberals, are liberals. Okay? So here... Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> the plot thickens. <laughs> so the American Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, okay, are... They are really two seminal documents in liberal political thought. Okay? So there's a whole, like, spectrum of, of thinking. Like, there's a whole school of thought called liberalism. It's a philosophy. And it started in in Europe by some white guys during the you know during the Enlightenment, and uh, it's associated with the Enlightenment and the American and French revolutions. It's called liberalism, mm. and so American American conservatives and American liberals are basically rival rivalrous siblings who are well within the liberal tradition of political philosophy. Mm. Okay, so there are lots of different political philosophies. The United States typically. W- conservatives and liberals when we talk about conservatives and liberals we're talking about they both clumped under this one thing called liberalism okay i think it's, it's really important that people understand this because most people don't you know hmm. um so conservatives and liberals are just brothers and sisters or br- brothers and brothers fighting yeah against each other but they're both under this umbrella of liberal political liberalism okay so um Okay, so that being said, there are three Enlightenment philosophers in particular that our beloved American founding fathers, right, particularly loved. So here they are. These are the sort of so the seminal, well, I'm just singling out, there are lots of thinkers here, and I don't want to be too, I don't want to generalize too broadly. But the ones I'm talking about in this post are John Locke, Adam Smith, and Thomas Hobbes. So these three guys are, um, are very important in political liberalism, okay? So... Now I want to talk about human nature really quick. 
So, and, and Thomas Hobbes in particular. Okay. So Thomas Hobbes, he was a, uh, he was a, he was a thinker. I think he was English. Yeah. Thomas Hobbes was a English philosopher. Um, and, uh, like his wrote a bunch of books, but, uh, particularly, particularly what I want to talk about here is his view on human nature. And I think it was deranged. I think it was a bad view of humans. Um, it was distorted and unnecessarily pessimistic. Okay. So briefly, according to Hobbes, human beings are essentially selfish. Okay. This is what he thought. Mm-hmm. Um, the only reason humans form societies, uh, and agree not to harm each other is to protect ourselves from being harmed by other people. So without government, Hobbes says life would be solitary, nasty, brutish, and short. So from this, it follows that we are not necessarily ethical or good people, right? Hobbes thinks humans are evil at the core. Hmm. Okay. Um, for Hobbes, ethics is only something that comes with politics and politics is rooted in the selfishness and desire for self-preservation. So it's absolutely worth noting here that the 17th century thinker Hobbes was insanely influenced by the Protestant Reformation thought of the 16th century theologian, John Calvin. You guys ever hear of him? Yeah, I've heard of Calvin and Hobbes. Uh, yep, Calvin and Hobbes, <laughs> <laughs> which is based on it, yeah, these two I, guys. That's kind of what I figured. Yeah, so he uh, and, and Hobbes strongly, uh, oh, Calvin strongly endorsed Saint Augustine's notion of uh, peccatum originale, or otherwise known as original sin. Hmm. So Calvin was a big proponent of that. Yeah, that humans are born stained. Hmm. Right, like this moral. We have this moral stain. It's just us. a birthmark. It's not stain. <laughs> no, right? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, so notoriously, Calvin preached the doctrine of total depravity. Right, that humans uh, he considers us stain. Right, and was pretty convinced that God created certain people for the sole purpose of being eternally tortured and hmm. uh, and, and damned to hell. So, if it's not completely clear that Hobbes's view of human nature. Um, the one inherited by the American founding fathers, uh, it's incomprehensibly bleak, one-sided and horribly distorted. So in 1649, Hobbes wrote in his book Leviathan that the natural state of man is the war of all against all. That's what he thought. Hmm. So now I want to switch to, to the nature of government. So Locke, Locke was, was pivotal for our American um, you know, founders, right? The, the, the Europeans, the white, white guys that wrote all the the, the documents. Right. John Locke was influenced by Hobbes, but this disagreed with him on some things, okay, including natural rights in particular. Uh, Lockeans disagreed with Hobbesians that there was no natural law and no natural rights. The following lines should should sound familiar to Americans. Okay, listen. Tell me if you guys recognize these these two lines. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You guys recognize that? Yeah. Yep. Daniel Day-Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> Is that... Are you related to he, that guy, he, by the way? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. And, uh, no, uh, Abraham Lincoln, of course, but I, I'm, I believe he played Lincoln. I think, no, I, wait, it's from the Declaration of Independence. I, Abraham Lincoln probably said it, but... Um, it was written by... Who wrote the Declaration? I think it was uh, Jefferson, right? Yeah, or I think so. Guys. Yeah. So... Um, that, that really is the Declaration of Independence, but it sounds familiar, very familiar, mm. uh, to what Locke wrote in his book, The Two Treaties of Government. So here's, right. here's what Locke wrote. The state of nature has a law of nature to govern it, which obliges every one, and reason, which is that law, teaches all mankind 
who will but consult it, that being all equal and independent, no one ought to harm another in his life, liberty, or property. So Jefferson replaces property with the pursuit of happiness. That's it. But the Lockean roots are there. Hmm. Um, so as Paul, Paul Nevins uh, writes about this, and he, I recommend his book. Um, it's, uh, his book is, uh, what's it called? It's called... He wrote a book all about this, The Politics of Selfishness, and it's his, the subtitle of the book is How John Locke's Legacy is Paralyzing America. Right. So I, I read this book, and I got a lot of the, the content for the, of the blog post from it. Um, but he, uh, Nevins says here that uh, because the U.S. constitutional system, as devised by the Founding Fathers, is essentially an extension and an endorsement of Locke's politics, Locke's political philosophy has become the scripture from which almost all subsequent American political thought has been divined. It is the primary inspiration for what is commonly known as the American creed. So that's yeah, that's the deal. The Lockean, the Lockean legacy. Nevis, uh, Nevis also astutely points out how, unlike in Locke's native land of England, Locke's ideas were unquestioningly and commonly accepted in the U.S. and never really challenged. Okay, so like. So, for, for, for instance, here, Neville writes that in England, Locke's ideas were subsequently refined and further elaborated by folks like David Hume and, and even Adam Smith and David Ricardo uh, and John Stuart Mill. His political doctrine, however, was also vigorously challenged by a number of English critics during the 19th and 20th centuries. Uh, but by contrast, here in the United States, Locke's ideas, to borrow a phrase from John Kenneth Galbraith, uh, gained acceptance as the conventional wisdom. Thus, during the intervening centuries, legions of American thinkers, politicians, and pundits have embraced the liberalism of Locke's political philosophy, either as a matter of conscious preference or cultural inheritance. So, hmm. that's the that's what we inherited, right? We we, we always think of uh, we always think of um, you know Locke's take on government there. Um, so. Th- what we have here, you know, we always talk about limited government in the United States, that there's this, this limited government. So looking back at history of the political and economic philosophy, the advent of the modern sort of liberal capitalist worldview is a complete anomaly. So as we see in Locke and his admirers in the U.S. basically believe that the, that the states should be valueless, that the state should be valueless and exist primarily to protect the individual's foundational rights of life, liberty, and happiness. So it's, this is an anomaly. So this wasn't a thing. So, okay, so a way to explain this is that you, you can't blame the American founding fathers for that in some degree, right? So yeah. coming out of like that sort of feudal situation right where you've got kings sort of and, and lords mm-hmm. owning the land and uh and, and the reason being because these modern enlightenment thinkers viewed government and, and like i was just saying justifiably to some degree in negative terms right and, and you can't blame them because you have oppressive sort of lords and kings you know uh and, and hoarding wealth so one has to admit that it's hard to blame them uh completely for this it's important to remember that this type of political and economic thinking was a huge advancement over feudalism uh so it's emphasis on the divine right and absolute power of kings so that said i think i, I really do think too much was thrown out with the bathwater hmm. um two people uh, philip clayton and justin heinziger wrote a book and in in it they talk about how uh in short since the dawn of civilization, virtually every great civilization in both the East and West has affirmed that rulers lead on behalf of the good of the people. 
So the core values of each civilization has been articulated by its leaders, as well as by the philosophers, religious leaders, artists, poets, and the great writers of that society. The idea of a value-free state, one that encourages citizens to pursue their own gain outside of any broader system of values, would have been completely foreign to the way uh, that these civilizations define themselves. Um, So the sudden change from government being understood as existing for the common good to existing to protect merely life, liberty, and property is in part tied to Western imperialism. Okay? So... Mm. It was very convenient that uh, that we stripped the government down, right? At the same time that imperialism was on the rise. Yeah. So, uh, this, why this sudden change? So, this is Clayton and Heinziger again. They say, undoubtedly, the imperial expansion of the European nations had something to do with it. Thanks to their massive military and naval power, they began uh, taking raw materials and, when they could, slaves from Africa, Asia, and in the Americas, which brought a rapid increase in wealth to Britain's upper classes. With the new influx of capital, someone needed to justify why laws should favor the exploitation of foreign resources and their flow across national borders. So it's no wonder, then, that when most Americans talk about wanting liberty or freedom, what they mean is that they want freedom from, right? Not Hmm. freedom for. So that is to say, people who think in terms of freedom from want freedom from the government and other outside interference, preventing them from pursuing unlimited wealth and happiness, regardless of any expense others may suffer. This, to me, is very sad and problematic. It's a a problematic way of thinking. Perhaps a better, more optimistic, realistic way of thinking about the role of government might be that it would help provide freedom to be able to pursue and achieve goods, better social conditions, better education, and more just distribution of resources, higher overall quality of life. So, indeed, this is how government was viewed by most civilizations throughout history. So... Yeah, so the, like I said, I think I think it's important. Um, I, I get the criticism that you know we don't want this huge oppressive government. We want them to be pretty minimal and stripped down mm-hmm. and not uh, infringe upon our freedoms. I totally get that. Um, but the cool thing is that we live, we do live in a democracy now. So that was that was part of the positive side of yeah. the rise of liberalism and yep. the rise of um, democ- democracy. We were able to. Um, collectively decide things and we have a democratic sort of government you know it's a representational democracy but um the point is that the government works for us now right so we can actually make the government provide those freedoms right um provide the the happiness and Mm -hmm. and pursuit of uh, pursuit of happiness right yeah life liberty and pursuit of happiness yeah um yes i mean the the other thing is is individualism i was going to get into this um it's going long but um that's the human nature part yeah and uh i've talked about this before but um you know the the hobbesian view was that uh that we're sort of these individual sort of encapsulated little people bumping into each other Mm. right and I think that's hard. I think that, uh, you know, that sort of libertarian take uh, uh, is, is hard to, 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 to justify. Yeah. So I think this libertarian individualists who hold to this sort of, um, in philosophy, it's called atomism, right? Where, um, but uh, they want to make a moral argument based on freedom. Um, and I think Henry, I'm going to quote Henry Rosemont Jr. again here. He says that, if we can take care of ourselves, this is sort of what, you know, 
conservative libertarians would want to say, um, who who have a sort of individual individualistic attitude. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they think, hey, if I can take care of myself, why can't they? It, it's in this way that the very wealthy and unfortunately many others justify their behaviors morally and politically. They are not going to say they are greedy, selfish, uh, or unfeeling or racist. Rather, they are going to say. They are acting on principle, especially the principle of the inherent freedom of individuals to freely pursue their own projects as they wish, so long as they respect the similar freedom of all other individuals to do the same. These people are thus only insisting on the right to be left alone to, and to dispose of the resources as they see fit. These are the most basic of social contracts. But <clears throat> this abstract atomistic notion of individualism, which depicts humans as self-interested, unchanging, independent, and completely autonomous, is to me very counterintuitive and almost certainly fictional. So my alternative is a process relational or even a Buddhist or Confucian sort of understanding. And this is getting to the end of my truth pick here. But um, I'll, just, I'll just I'll just skip ahead here. And I think that uh, according to this view, so the process relational view of reality is that um, has many resonance with sort of Eastern philosophical ideas. Um, so, for instance, the jewel net of Indra is a great example, um, and it's used in, in, in Buddhism. It's a, meta- it's a beautiful metaphor that really gets at how sort of process thinkers like Whitehead think of things. So Richard Lubbock wrote a great essay, and I want to read here about what he says about the jewel net. And this is how I think we should think about ourselves. The jewel net of Indra teaches that the cosmos is like an infinite network of glittering jewels, all different. In each one, we can see the images of all the others reflected. Each image contains an image of all the other jewels, and also the image of the images of the images. The myriad reflections within each jewel are the essence of the jewel itself, without, uh, without which it does not exist. Thus, every part of the cosmos reflects and brings into existence every other part. Nothing can exist unless it enfolds within its essence the nature of everything else. So, are humans good or bad? What do you think about that? Like, Depends deep down. Depends on the down. person. Depends on the person, okay. Okay. Depends how they were raised. Oh, good. that's a good point. Mm. And where they were raised. Oh, very good. Very good. I agree. Yep. See, I wouldn't even. I think a kid it's raised in a country isn't mm-hmm. going to act anywhere near the same as a kid raised in the city. Yeah, absolutely. They would be totally different people, right? With different values, different ways of thinking and seeing things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What about you, Dan? What do you think? What do you think about people? Are people inherently good or bad? I think deep down, people are inherently good. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, we do bad things. I do bad things. You know? Yeah, man. I mean, but I think at our core, we're good. And, yeah. you know, I think even people who, I don't know, mm-hmm. we think do the most horrible things, mm-hmm. I think deep down they think they're good. And maybe they yeah. are. They've just made some poor decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. And, yeah. you know, I look at people who who we might view as, as selfish, very self-centered mm-hmm. and, you know, we're wondering maybe, maybe something else is going on there. I mean, you Absolutely. would, you would kind of hinted at this on a previous episode yep. too, you know, what's, what's going on Yep. really, you know, what's, what's causing this. Yep. And you know what Gabe said, it mm-hmm. depends on how you're raised. Yep. Um, 
I mean, you know, sometimes it's a sounds like a cop out to say, <laughs> you know, um, you know, they're, they're, I'm this way because a bad parent. My parents didn't, right. you know, raise me right. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it sounds like a cop out, but it's, you know, same time, it's kind of true. You're, you know, you're mm-hmm. raised a certain way, and yeah, in a sense, you don't you don't have much control over that. Mm-hmm. You know, and absolutely, man. So, I think that personal responsibility is. It's key, though. I, I, yeah. I, don't, I don't dismiss or I don't want to diminish that. I yeah. think we all have responsibility for our decisions. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, there are, there, you, like you just said, there are other factors at play. Yeah. And, um, yeah, like I said in the, in the beauty pick, uh, that I, I, I hold to that interpretation of, of Genesis. That sort of um, that agape love covenant interpretation, right? That, um, that we are loved unconditionally mm. right and that we are to also love unconditionally right um that we are not to um be the police of good and evil no right or the judges of good and evil that that is to be left to god alone right and that we are to be lovers yeah in god's image even loves love those who are perceived to be evil you know yeah it's not easy <laughs> no and sometimes love looks different we've talked about this already yeah that loving doesn't always look the same loving someone in one particular context looks different than loving another person in another particular context, mm-hmm. right? But, but yeah. Um, what about government, Dan? What's your take on government? Good, bad, not so good? I think <clears throat> it's needed. Um, mm-hmm. It's, um, I'd say, I, think, I mean, I don't get too political. It's, it's hard for me to mm-hmm. get into it too much. But, you know, I, I think that... Um, we just need to make sure that we're getting the right mm-hmm. people in the right place and the I right think offices. And, you're right on the right on the money there. And I don't think we have been very successful in doing that, you know. Yeah. Um, throughout history, really, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, not to say that nobody has ever done a great job, but you know, mm-hmm. we're all humans. I, I could Absolutely. I couldn't run this country any better than you know. Yeah. Any other. No doubt. Yeah. <laughs> like I, like, like I, I wouldn't I, want that responsibility for yeah, one thing. Yeah, no, I agree. It's difficult. And um, I mean, I'm not, I don't want to come off as saying that what we have is perfect. I'm not saying that. I'm saying we have to constantly improve and make things yeah. better. Yeah. Um, and we've come a long way. We have. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Let's try not to backslide. I, I just think that, um, as, I, as I've, said, I've said on previous podcasts, I think we are societies all the way down. Mm-hmm. And that societies inevitably will have some form of governance. We have some way of organizing ourselves. Yeah. And so to reject government solves nothing, right? That's what super-duper conservative people want to do. Um, and li- libertarians in particular, they want to say, we want minimal government. Hmm. Min- strip it down, valueless. We want a system that has no values. And that's crazy because humans have values and governments are made up of people. Yeah. And have, people have values. So how can you have a government with no values? That's hmm. crazy. So... Rejecting government is like rejecting food. The real issue isn't to reject food, it's to eat healthy food. That's what you just said. That's a good And to avoid poisonous food, right? We don't want a bad government. Absolutely. No one wants that. So the real issue isn't to reject government, it's to support good government and to Mm. oppose bad government. Dan, your truth pick. Okay. Um, I just want to start off by saying I am atheist. Oh, wait, let me let me back that up. Uh, I might have said that too nice. fast. I am a theist, okay. not to be confused with an atheist, which is a completely different thing. <laughs> and I don't know. I was just um, there's also anatheism too. Yeah, that's also a thing. What is that? That's one I didn't see. That that is uh, that is someone, one that is espoused someone by. Someone explain this to me. 
Well, remember we were talking about theology earlier? Mm-hmm. Well, the, theos, it's a Greek word for God, and it's root for theism, mm-hmm. basically. Um, and uh, theism is then it's most basically uh, the belief in at least one God. Um, yeah. Or, or multiple. Um, mm-hmm. But I just wanted to go over, you know, a list of different theisms. Cool. And, you know, I was trying to... You know what kind of what kind of theist am I? You know oh, you can't just say I am a theist and then leave yeah. it at that. You need to right. really yeah. get into it. Drill um, down, man. Yeah. So here's you know some descriptions and maybe listeners can figure out mm, what kind of theist oh, they good. are oh, or atheist. Very good. So anyway, uh, we'll start our we'll start off with uh, you know monotheism. Mm-hmm. You know monos means alone. Monotheism is the belief that there's a single God. Um, you know this is mm-hmm. um, true for for Christianity mm-hmm. for Judaism. Uh, for uh, Islam, mm-hmm. um, there are, there are also others. Uh, the Rastas and the Baha'i are also monotheists. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that. Um, there's polytheism, which cool. is you know the belief in many gods. You know, nice. just like the the Greeks and the Romans we yep. were just talking about. Yep. Um, and uh, pantheism. Pantheism. Pan means all, and mm-hmm. pantheists believe that everything in the universe is a part of, is one with. And is the same as God. Cool. Pantheists do not believe in a personal God. Rather, God is an impersonal, non-anthropomorphic force. Uh-huh. Uh, and then there's panan- panantheism. Yeah. Panentheism. Panentheism. Yep. Yes. Uh, similar to pantheists in that they believe the entire universe is one with God. However, they also believe there is more than, or more to the God than the universe. The universe is one with God, but God is both the universe and beyond the universe. Panantheism also er, allows for the belief in a personal God, a being with whom humans can forge a relationship, mm-hmm. who has expectations for humanity, and who can be related to in human terms. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one, I haven't heard of this one, henotheism. Mm-hmm. Heno means one. Henotheism is the worship of a single God without actively denying the existence of other gods. Cool. Uh, for various reasons, uh, they feel a specific connection with a single deity to whom they owe some sort of loyalty. Mm-hmm. Ancient Hebrews appear to have been henotheists. They recognized there were other gods in existence, yep. but their god was the god of the Hebrew people. Yeah, the Jews were, the, the ancient Hebrews were. Yeah. yeah. That's what you just said, yeah. Yep. That's kind of what I thought there. Yep. Um, deism. Uh, deus is the Latin word for God. Deists believe in a single creator God, but they reject revealed religion. Mm-hmm. Instead, knowledge of this God comes from rationality and experience with the created world. Deists also commonly reject the idea of a personal God. While God exists, he does not interfere with his creation, such as granting miracles or creating prophets, and mm-hmm. he does not desire worship. Yep. So, yeah. Um, let me. I, and I found a, a few others that I had never heard of either. Let me see if I can find these here. Scroll through. Uh, there's ditheism, which means people believe in two gods, usually one good and one evil. Cool. Um, there's autotheism. Like angel, like angel and demon. Kind of, yeah. yeah. Um, autotheism, uh, God equals the self or is within the self. And there's eutheism, not to be confused with something that sounds like eutheism. <laughs> <laughs> um, God is entirely merciful and just. Nice. And then there's misotheism and ditheism. Dice theism. God cool. is evil. Ooh. 
don't yeah, like that that's, one. I don't like that one either. But <laughs> I don't know. I kind of, I mean, of course, I, I fall into the monotheistic category uh-huh. and maybe the panentheism. Yeah. I think that's interesting. I, I, yeah. I kind of believe that. And then the this eutheism that I see here, God is entirely merciful and just. That's cool, I man. believe, yeah. um, you know, you had mentioned something on mm-hmm. another podcast, how, you know, you know, but, you know, bad things happen to good people. You we were talking about, you yeah. know, guns, I think, on yeah. the last episode. And, yeah, it's true. And, you know, I believe God allows those things to happen. But I think in the end, you know, I think God is merciful and just in that he is in the business of reconciliation. He's in the business of um, redeeming uh, us to what we were meant to be, you know, at some point in time, I think. Um and so I don't know. That's just a little bit about what I what I believe. I um, you know I grew up in a Christian household for the most part, most of my life, and you know I've hinted at how I've kind of uh, deconstructed uh, kind of my belief system, and then you know I'm in the process of reconstructing that. And I, I'd say that I still you know kind of go along with a lot of what you know of what's in Christianity, mm-hmm. but I think. I don't fit into that mainstream category, you know. I, no. Like I don't, like I don't think a lot of other <laughs> no. Christians would really consider me to be one. Yeah. To be honest yeah, with yeah. you, um, and I don't know if I mean I'm not really one to really like labels, and it, it doesn't matter to me if I'm considered that or not. You know, I just yep. I believe in a God who is uh, merciful, who is good, who, um, like I said, uh, is is here to to redeem things. He's not here yeah. to condemn or destroy. Right so. on. I believe in a God that is fair. If someone is a bad person, they're not going to get good things. And if it's a good person, good things are going to happen. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Kind of like karma. So like karma, like very karmic. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. This is awesome, Dan. reminds me of a video game character's attack. (laughs) Karmic retribution. Okay. Oh, nice. Yeah. That sounds sounds about right. It pretty much does... Dam- the more damage it deals mm-hmm. depends on the more bad things that character has done. Yeah, see, I don't know about karma, though, as a concept. Like, there are lots of people out there who have done bad things and have gotten quite a bit quite a bit of good things in yeah. return. So I can't, I, I really, I don't buy into it. Um, I mean, you kind of have to, like, for karma, the whole karma concept, like, you, you have to buy into the whole system, which, mm. which involves, you know... Um, Reincarnation, yeah. right? So, like, your uh, what you do is you know revisited upon you in the, right. in the next life, that kind of thing. Hmm. But Dan, this is yeah. awesome, man! Thanks. I love this pick, yeah, because this is stuff that I I love to think about. Yeah. I like theology quite a bit, and I'm pretty close to you. I, I'm I, I consider myself to be a panentheist, um, so that so God is uh, we are in God, God is in us, but also God is other than us, mm-hmm. right? So yeah, just as um, just as we, uh, I think of, I think of, I think of it as the body, you know, part of God's body, yeah, in, in a very real sense. I, I border on pantheism mm. occasionally, um, mm-hmm. so God is impersonal force, uh, very sort of naturalistic, religious naturalistic uh, view. Um, but uh, you know, I, I, as much as many problems as I have with monotheism, I, I do. Uh, consider myself to be in the Christian tradition. Right. I consider myself to be a Christian, so that's part of my tradition, monotheism. Um, it has lots of problems, um, yeah. but, oh, yeah. um, you know, just philosophically, um, and I've talked about it a little bit on this program, I think, but um, I, I, I think you're right that many people sort of blend or have 
different feet in different categories here. Yeah, and that's the I same for so. me. Um, what was the other one? The the, the Eurotheism or Eutheism? Eutheism? Yeah, eutheism. not to be confused with euthanasia or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> that one is also interesting to me too. Yeah, that guy was all merciful. Um, and all, was it all merciful, merciful and just? Yeah, just. Yeah, I think yeah. that's. I think that's good. Um, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm a special kind of panentheist, um, mm-hmm. in the sense that, uh, yeah, God is the all related one, omnirelational. Right. Um, I, 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 we'll we'll do a section. I'm going to do a section on the problem of evil, the intellectual mm-hmm. sort of philosophical okay. theological problem of evil. But that was always a big one for me, and and if it wasn't for, you know, my my study of. Um, it wasn't for certain streams of theology that, that I encountered. Um, I, I, the problem of evil would have pushed me into non-theism, hmm. right? Or, or, or I don't think I would have been an anti-theist at any time. So that's another one, anti-theist. Yeah. Um, an atheist is just like theism. There are so many varieties of atheism. Oh, yeah, there are. You know? Actually, um, that was going to be the next part of my little oh, okay. section here. So <laughs> Sorry, I didn't um, No, no that's cool. That's cool. That's good that you mm-hmm. brought it up. It's, it's, yeah. We're kind of like on the same wavelength. Yeah. In fact, I think can some of the stuff s- you were talking about earlier was yeah. kind of relates to this. But go can ahead, can Gabe. Can we slow it down? I'm kind of starting to get a brain ache. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry, man. <laughs> Sorry. So then I found, um, I'm just going to briefly go over these. Uh, seven yeah. different types of non-believers. Good, good. And so, you know, if the listeners don't identify with any of the ones I named mm-hmm. earlier, here's yep. here's some. Uh, so, yeah, atheist, the first one. You know, and atheist can be defined as somebody mm-hmm. who just doesn't believe in uh, uh, literal humanoid God concept. Yep. You know, um, there's positive atheism mm-hmm. and there's negative atheism. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, positive atheism, atheism asserts that... Uh, personal supreme being does not exist negative atheism simply asserts a lack of belief in such a deity mm-hmm. um and there's anti-theist and i think this is where people like you know dawkins and yes. hitchens fall into madeline yep. murray o'hare sure you know, it's very um they think religion is harmful yeah and it can be of course sure i, I can agree with them on that yeah um and i think a lot of times mm-hmm. with atheists anti-theists mm-hmm. a lot of times the god that they have in there that they're thinking about yep I don't believe in that God either because right. they've, they were painted a completely different picture of yep. God than, and that's why they reject that. And I, I mm-hmm. don't blame them for that. Sure. Um, agnostic of course. And it says here, it's funny. Some atheists think of agnostic as a weenie term <laughs> as people. They're just, it's a cop out for people that, um, yeah, who lack uh, belief in God, but don't want to, you know, they don't want to make anyone angry. They're, you know, family angry yes. or something like that. Yeah. Um, so there's that. And agnosticism is basically, mm-hmm. you know, I don't see enough proof for it, but I'm not going right. to say that there isn't a God. Yeah. Um, the skeptic, of course. I um, got to say I'm on that page. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. The agnostic. Okay. Well, yeah, and the skeptic. I am kind of skeptical yeah. oh, yeah. of this whole topic. Sure. Okay. That's okay. I don't have my proof. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, man. Okay, that, that, that evidence. <laughs> You need that evidence, eh? Yep. Well, you got plenty of time to develop your... It's all good, man. ...your beliefs. Um, so, yeah, the skeptic, and this is where, um, you know, Pendulet kind of falls into this category here. Mm-hmm. Sure. If anyone knows knows about him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a traditional skeptic has been used to describe a person who doubts received religious dogmas. Mm-hmm. However, while agnostic focuses on God questions in particular, the term skeptic expresses a broader life approach. Yeah. Um, uh, free thinker. And I guess if I had to relate to one of these, this would be it. I'm, I definitely feel I'm, uh, I'm a free thinker. Yep. Um, so I don't, I don't see how that really fits in the non-believer category. Yeah. Really? Um, yeah. I think, like I, I think uh, like I, like we were saying earlier, I think a, 
a lot of these categories can we, we, can apply to multiple categories can apply to uh, a yeah. person yeah yeah um humanist uh mm-hmm. while terms like atheist or anti-theist focus on a lack of god belief and agnostic skeptic and free thinker all focus on ways of knowing mm-hmm. humanist centers in on a set of ethical values and humanism seeks to promote broad well-being by advancing compassion equality mm-hmm. self-determination and other values that allow individuals to flourish yep. and to live in community with each other so yep. you know just because you don't I, uh, somebody doesn't believe in God doesn't mean they're not compassionate. Sure. Um, and, I, and again, I'm not. I'm not defending. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not trying to say, hey, you should. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying, but <laughs> no, <laughs> saying yeah, you that just put that out there. I don't have any disrespect for people that want to live their way their lives this way. Either. Yeah, no doubt. And then what's funny is one that shows up on the the previous list uh, shows up here, here up here as well. Pantheist. Mm-hmm. So. In which I've already described. So I thought it was interesting that both these lists. That's funny. Had had one one. That's that funny. Was the the pantheist shows the up on the on the atheist list. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so it's funny because like um, like the one I mentioned before was anatheism, and that's that's Richard Carney. He's a postmodern thinker, right? So mm-hmm. uh, I mean, a lot of this this whole theist atheist dichotomy really. It um, it never really was a thing before modernity, right? The the right. Uh, the sort of the sort of epoch that we call modernity, you know, before the rise of enlightenment thinking and sort of scientific understandings of the natural world, um, it wasn't really a problem um, until you started, you know, understanding the nature by studying the physical material reality, yeah, right, and that's when you know. That's when you start to start to understand things. Science starts to make progress, right, and starts to develop like cool gadgets and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and you have an, 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 I'm alive to see. What's that? Hopefully, I'm alive to see teleportation. Uh, that'd yeah. be great. Uh, me too. I'm down. Because we just drove, we just drove four hours in to Pittsburgh and four hours back. So I would love right. to be able to teleport there. Yeah, okay. Dan, this was a great pick, man. Thanks. Um, but yeah, like I was saying, like the. Uh, that whole religion, uh, atheism and, and, and theism, it, it never was a problem. And now that we sort of entered into what mm-hmm. some people call the sort of this postmodern era, um, and uh, we sort of understand that objective reality is, in many ways, uh, relies upon subjectivity, mm-hmm. right? So without subjectivity, there would be no objective sort of understanding. Yeah. Um, and, and and science science using the empirical methods right is really investigating what you know what 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 Whitehead calls um, uh, perception in the mode of causal efficacy. Right. Okay. So, um, or I'm sorry, percent, perception in the mode of presentational immediacy. Okay. So this this is the data that we're receiving through our senses, right, Gabe? That's what science does, right? We're able to measure things and, and quantify yeah. things and, and talk about things in terms of it mathematics. Brain right? hurt. Yeah. <laughs> makes the brain hurt. <laughs> well, that's, um, what, what you, you, that's what science does. Science yeah. looks at the physical world, right, and measures things, right? That's, what, that's how science, scientists gain understanding about the physical world, hmm. you know? And I think empiricism is good as a way to understand reality. I think mm-hmm. that's important. Um, but I consider myself a radical empiricist. So William James is a thinker that uh, talks about this, and he falls into that sort of category uh, yeah. uh, of radical empiricism. He says that uh, um, empirical science is great, but it leaves out sort of 
other experiences that humans have hmm. the, the interior sort of the interior world right um and you know kant's objection to science right played a part in this postmodern turn that you know this transcendental argument right that science is an invention of humans hmm. right it's it's a way that humans understand the world right but science can't get beyond itself right so if we if we just say that science is um is everything and it's the way to understand the world then it undermines its own sort of logic there um because because uh we can say that human that that science is if human consciousness is really just the product of this random sort of chemicals interacting in a weird way uh then science really isn't that meaningful no it's it's the the invention of talking primates yeah why should we value it right hmm. and that's Kant's argument and yeah. so the, his basic you know point there is that science can't get behind itself it can't yeah. explain <clears throat> you know certain things right yeah um, and that's important to understand and i think that's the postmodern thinkers philosophers realize this and they run with this so yeah and Nietzsche talks about this too. Mm. And so Carney uh, uses Nietzsche quite a bit. Um, he talks about, uh, he wrote a book called Anatheism. Mm. And he, he, sets a, he sets a path of returning to God after God. So after the death of God, after the metaphysical death of God. Right? That's mm. what Nietzsche and uh, these death of God theologians talk about. Yeah. Um, and that, that's what postmodernism offers. It offers a way to talk about sort of the spiritual aspects of life, right? The subtleties of life and the, the solemnities of life again. Right. And the spiritual nature of things. So I like that list and I think that's important. Um, and all these categorizations, yeah. I think it's important because people so often they just say, um, I'm an atheist and they, that's all that's as far yeah, as they go. They don't, they don't look into it as far as they go. And, and, and yeah, there's a yeah. lot of people that call themselves Christians, but they don't yeah. look into it. You yeah. Know? And or, there, or, there's yeah. so many you know, it, all those titles come with presuppositions, yeah. assumptions. They feel like they're, mm-hmm. that's how they were born or something yeah. like that. They just grew up that way. Correct. And they don't take the time to nope. really look at Correct. it. Like, for instance, humanism, right? That was on the list of yeah. atheists, of a- a- atheistic expressions. Mm-hmm. But humanism came out of the Christian tradition. If it wasn't for Christianity, humanism wouldn't be a thing. Right. You know, it came out of Protestant Christianity. Yeah. Um, many people say, a lot of thinkers say that in order to be a, uh, an atheist, you need to be a Christian. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> they make the Christians make the best ones. Yeah, and that uh, I've I've read that other thinkers say that Protestantism. That's so. There's been all these polls coming out about how like mainline Christianity is dying. Mm. Right? There's that kids, young people don't go to church. That kind of thing, right? Yeah. Um. You know, certain certain streams of Christianity are doing well. Like yeah. But uh, like mainline Protestantism, not doing so well. I yeah, and I don't think that it's dying necessarily. Just that it's changing. Yeah, well, it, We're, one oh, theory about it, mm-hmm. is what I was going to say, is that um, Protestant Christianity has become culture, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, you've got, like, liberal theology that basically teaches people, you know, to be good citizens. Yeah. Like, teaches people those humanistic values, that mm. you can be a good person and not necessarily have to think about God yeah. too much. <laughs> and, and if you read, like, liberal theology, that's kind of what they say. So, you like... Um, uh, what's his name? Um, uh, Feuerbach, right? Who's mm-hmm. famous? He was a theologian. Says that uh, famous liberal theologian, Protestant theologian, says yep. that uh, theology is anthropology. Theology is uh, basically humans projecting their anxieties and fears and mm-hmm. uh, you know things like that onto the heavens. Yeah. So then, when when you have a, when someone has a god who is sort of this warrior like, uh, you know, malevolent sort of punisher. 
mm-hmm. that that's really tells me a lot about you as a person than it does about any sort of cosmic deity. Right. You know, I think that's a great critique and I, yeah. I value that. I think that he think he's right. So Marx, Marx took him up and, mm. and was inspired by Feuerbach for, for mm. his critique of religion, which I also think is huge that any religious person, any Christian, uh, especially has to engage with. They have to engage with those those thinkers, those critical thinkers, uh, namely the big ones, right? The uh, masters of suspicion, yeah. uh, Marx, Freud, Nietzsche, and Feuerbach. Hmm. But um, so yeah, this is a great list, man. Yeah, and I just wanted to end. Uh, I, I forgot to bring it with me. I'm, I'm reading a book at the moment called uh, mm-hmm. "Jesus for the Non-Religious" by nice. uh, the author is James Shelby Spong. I'm, oh, I yeah. think you, I like you know him. Yeah. Um, and I, like I said, I don't have it with me, but mm-hmm. so I can't quote it directly. Yeah. But it, he says something along the lines of um, theism is um, you know man's understanding of of God. Yeah, and atheism is just the rejection of yep. that human understanding. That's good of God. So it's, it's just kind of an interesting, yep, an interesting quote. And I, I know I kind of probably butchered it. Maybe That's I'll uh, we'll include it in the show notes or something oh, yeah. so that you can see what it, he really said because it's cool. better than what I just said. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's right, man. I think that's right on. Because so whenever I encounter someone who's like an ardent atheist, I'm, I always ask them like, so okay, what what kind of uh, which God do you reject? Yeah, you know. Just well, I don't those, believe in that God either. If I say yeah. some, if I tell somebody I'm a theist, they they can rightly ask me which God do you believe in. Right. <laughs> so cool. Let's do that from now on. Okay. Let's move on to the goodness section. Goodness. Um, do you want to switch it up, Dan? You want to go first on this one? Okay. Sure, I'll go first. There you go. Um, Mr. Fusion device from Back to the Future may become reality. Small fusion reactor unveiled that will produce limitless energy. Great Scott. I know this is heavy. <laughs> anyway. So what do you so, keep saying that? <laughs> is there some, yeah. some kind of gravitational uh, force in the gravitational mix up in the future? Yeah. Um, so I just want to share this quick story uh, from NewsTarget.com. Uh, The race to find a viable alternative to fossil fuels in one of mankind's greatest hopes is fusion power. So what is fusion power in layman's terms? The demonstration of fusion power that that we are all most... Hang on, let me start that over. (laughs) So what is fusion power in layman's terms? The demonstration of fusion power that we are all most familiar with is the hydrogen bomb, which is about 1,000 times more powerful than an ordinary atomic bomb. The fusion process is what powers the sun. Basically, fusion involves fusing lighter nuclei into a heavier nucleus, which results in the release of a tremendous amount of power. Um, Cool. Yeah. The problem scientists have grappled with for the past 50 years is how to control that release of energy. If the energy could be released in a slow and controlled fashion, it could be used to produce an unlimited supply of quote-unquote clean energy or clean electricity that is completely non-damaging to the environment. Scientists need to overcome three problems to achieve this. Temperature, time, and containment. Oh. For fusion to take place, a tremendous amount of heat is needed to start the reaction. In fact, a heat of about uh, 40 million Celsius, which is about 72 million Fahrenheit, would need to be achieved. Interesting. A temperature higher than that of the sun. Holy moly. So how do we create that kind of heat, you know? I don't know, here. lightning in a bottle? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> 1.21 gigawatts. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Which is Mr. Fusion. Um, 
Then, the plasma that's created through the heating process needs to be held together at the heat for about one second. And the final problem is that finding a container to hold the plasma can that can withstand that heat has thus far proven impossible for scientists. But, uh, but you know, they're, they're making progress on this. And I always thought, like, you know, we've gotten a lot of cool inventions from, from mm-hmm. the Back to the Future movies. Yeah. And um, I think a lot, in a lot of ways, um, I, I feel like those movies have actually kind of shaped our current, <laughs> you know, oh, what yeah. we currently have in a, in a yeah. sense. Um, and I always thought, you know, Mr. Fusion is that one that was kind of overlooked. Nobody ever talks about it, but that's I think the it's one, probably the one that's the most important. That's the one we need. Yeah. I mean, he's, yeah. he's dumping uh, banana peels in mm-hmm. a beer can into the DeLorean so yep. that he can power it to fly and travel through time. So, yep. Um, so yeah, a little bit of, a little bit of science fiction mixed with, you know, a little science fact. Um, totally. But yeah. It's, it's fun. Dan's right. A lot of like what we have today in reality is from fiction right it's it starts as like an experiment right you you have to dream it up you know and um like the whole teleportation thing like that wasn't a thing you know that's you know star trek right but people are trying to do that now i I heard and uh, we wouldn't be trying to do it if we didn't exist in you know fictional mm. thought experiment uh, okay i'm gonna do my my goodness pick okay i think you guys will like it especially you gabe here's the headline it's a it's a it's a, it's a news article okay here it is people in high stress jobs should be given video game breaks yes says research yes, yes. did you know they actually did something on science channel do, do mm. video games actually make you smarter Oh, because some know. video games actually do have quick time events. I bet some help mm-hmm. that you actually need to move, move mm-hmm. your little cross in the sure. on the screen. To do the you right play spot. any any video games that teach you how to code? Uh, there are a lot of cool did. ones out there, like teach you how to do logic and stuff. Eh. Minecraft you, you is kind of touches on that, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, except for Betty some of the them. physics, it are really stupid. Mm. Because if you cut off the source block... I mean, you can fly in Minecraft. That's Speaking creative mode. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. That's the, What mode do you play in? Story mode? Survival or survival and mode, story. Yeah. Okay. I've already beat the game. <laughs> okay, well, let me read my article here. Okay, so here, here, here it says here that more than half of Americans regularly experience cognitive fatigue related to stress, frustration, and anxiety while at work. Those in safety critical fields, such as, you know, air traffic control and healthcare, are at an even greater risk for cognitive fatigue, which could lead to errors. Given the amount of time that people spend playing games on their smartphones and tablets, a team of human factors slash ergonomics researchers decided to evaluate whether casual video game play is an effective way to combat workplace stress during breaks. In a new online article, Michael Rupp and co-authors used a computer-based task to induce cognitive fatigue in 66 participants, who were then given a five-minute rest break. During the break, participants either played a casual video game, participated in a guided relaxation activity, or sat quietly in the testing room without using a phone or a computer. At various times throughout the experiment, the researchers measured participants' effects. You know, for example, stress, level, mood, and cognitive performance. Those who took silent rest breaks reported that they felt less engaged with work and experienced worry as a result, whereas those who participated in guided relaxation activities saw reductions in negative effect and distress. Only the video game players reported that they felt better after taking the break. 
Rupp, a doctoral student in human factors and cognitive psychology at the University of Central Florida, notes, uh, We often try to power through the day to get more work finished, which might not be as effective as taking some time to detach for a few minutes. People should plan short breaks to make time for an engaging and enjoyable activity, such as video games, that can help them recharge. Hmm. During my dad's lunch break. So there you have it. Yeah, it's funny. Um, you know, I'm still training in my new job, and yeah. um, uh, you know, I drive a delivery truck for for Schwann's. Well, you sure. And um, uh, and during our uh, lunch break, mm-hmm. me and the guy that's training me, you know, we'll, we'll eat, and then whatever time's left, we pull mm-hmm. out our phones and we we play games on our phone. Cool, for yeah, a little so bit. So yeah, it and does talk help. About um, what you're playing. Yeah, yeah, I've been playing games too. I play Pokemon Go yeah. at work. Because okay. I work on a, on a campus, play. and there's like all kinds of gyms everywhere. So I play it more often, but. In this area, most of the internets are locked. Oh, I see. Yeah. Plus, yeah. plus the two I use aren't really in a range, mm-hmm. decent range. Because if I walk out of one, I don't walk instantly into the next. Yeah. Yeah. You'd have so to use like, cellular data for that, and it's kind of yeah. iffy sometimes. No, no doubt. So this is good in the short term, Dan Yeah. Um, and Gabe. I think that while, while we're doomed to like work long hours and stuff... I mean, yeah, take breaks, man. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, long term, geez, why are we working these long freaking days to begin with? Mm -hmm. What the heck are we doing to ourselves? I don't know. Us working so long and five days a week, that's part of the reason why we're killing our planet. Let's not work so much. How about that? Then we won't have to take video game breaks. Sounds good. (laughs) Go to Mexico, have a siesta. Totally, man. They know how to do it. Boom. It's Italy. Italy, they know how to do a work day. Yeah. Oh, totally, man. Look into it. I'm down with that. So, how do video game testers take a break? Oh, good question, dude. Play their You're blowing my mind, dude. This is <laughs> paradox. <laughs> this is the video gamer's paradox, Dan. Right. You just articulated a philosophical paradox here. <laughs> you know how I can solve it? Yeah. You how? play your, the favorite game you've tested. Video gamers, like, go to work in, you know, like a, a warehouse. They go out in the warehouse and pack some boxes up or something. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> they do, like, real work. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> tape, tape boxes and pack them in a truck or something. Yeah. <laughs> I'm taking my break. I'm going to go um, lift some heavy things. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Well, this is good. This is good, guys. I'm, I'm really happy about this episode. I feel good about this. Uh, all this Me, awesome I'm stuff enough. we talked about. Yeah. We talked about some uh, some beauty. We talked about some truth and some goodness, yeah. guys. And a lot of brain. And yeah. enough to make your brain hurt at the good. end of the day. Well, hey, man, that's what we're all about here. Making people's brain hurt, brains hurt. Yeah. <laughs> that's hurts. what we do here. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do want to say, go to WXPIRadio.org. I'm sorry, it's WXPIRadio.org. Yes. And become a subscriber. We need subscribers. Um, five bucks a month. We, we, need, uh, we need help keeping the lights on. Um, so do that. I'm doing that. And I hope others will, too. Um, support Community Radio. You can uh, also uh, listen to all our back episodes at increasedcapacity.com. We have them all there. You can find us on iTunes. Uh, our Facebook group is, you know, Facebook slash Increased Capacity. And um, we're on Twitter. Dan, what's our Twitter handle? Oh, yeah, we have a Twitter now for the show. It is at Increased Cap. Nice. See, I had to cut it off because they wouldn't let me. Yeah. For some reason, they wouldn't let me put Increased Capacity. <sighs> it cut it off by two letters. I, I mean, it, it would let me get to... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, C A P A. Yeah. Um, yeah, they have a limit. Then, I guess. Like it cut off the, the. It wouldn't let me add the T Y. It was like capacity cool, though. Increase increase capacity. Increase cap, right? Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Tweet at us at increase increase cap. cap. Yeah, that's cool. Tweet at us. We we want to hear what you're doing. 
Yeah. Give us a beauty. Give us a truth. We'll read them on air. Yeah. Also, I want, yeah, I want to, I want to tell people, give us some reviews on iTunes. We yeah. need some five-star reviews. Hook yeah. us up, man. In fact, um, uh, we, we got a four-star review, which is good. It's still yeah. good. We got it from cool. a guy named uh, Retro Keith. And yeah. Thanks. I think I know who Keith is. Uh, we both listen to, um, uh-huh. we're both part of the NLCast community on, cool. on Facebook. And there's a series of podcasts done by this, mm-hmm. this guy named James Kennison, who I, I would love to have on the show sometime. Cool. Um and so we were both kind of part of that community, and, mm-hmm. and I kind of recognized uh, Retro Keith uh, cool. from that. And he gave some good feedback. It was oh, some yeah. constructive criticism. Totally. You know, and he, it was we because of that. him that I think we, you know, are opening it up for listener feedback. And oh, yeah. We be We've able always to, been opened up for that. Yeah, we have been. We just haven't, you know, yeah. <laughs> we just now got the Gmail and the Twitter. Yeah. So, so thanks, Retro Keith, for that, and I hope you're totally. listening. Yeah, and uh, like I was saying, on iTunes, give us five-star reviews. Um, and instead of a review, if you don't want to leave a review... You certainly can if you want to, but if you don't want to, just write in there. Give us a beauty or truth or goodness yeah. or, or all three, three if you want, or all three yeah. if you want, and yeah. we'll read them on the air. Exactly. So and, let's and do that. I just mentioned that we have a Gmail. I don't know if we actually said it, but it's uh, increased. Right. If you want to do more of a private message, yeah, or, increased capacity at gmail dot com. Yep. So absolutely, there you go. And I'll poking on there from time to time. Yeah, sounds good. Because um, I've been here twice, so I feel like yeah, not Gabe, and Gabe will come back team. again. I hope yeah. you come back again, man. I plan on it. Okay, man. I love it. Um, thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, we'll we'll catch you next time. Yeah, increase capacity.